Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we have on Garrick Hodge. Garrick covers Ohio State for 11warriors.com. Actually spent some time in Mississippi, as you'll hear in a minute, as the editor of a Starkville Golden Triangle area student newspaper. Known each other a little bit, had him on to talk about, well, the weird ties of the offseason between Ole Miss and Ohio State. Ross Bjork getting the AD job, Quinshawn Judkins going to Ohio State from Ole Miss, the footprint of Ohio State football in terms of recruiting and a whole lot more. Buckle up. I think you'll enjoy some offseason football conversation. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry-low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, Podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Seaspire. Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. College basketball season's heating up. NFL's winding down. If you're trying to make a little money, we'll make a little extra cash in your pocket. You need to go with Skybox. Their bread and butter is and has always been college basketball. I've been saying it on this podcast for years at this point. Let me lend you inside a little bit of Skybox's year-long college basketball action this so far this year. They're up 24 and a half units on overs on the year. They're up 0.027 units on unders plus 19 and a half units on against the spreads and are up a total of 39 units on the year with the $100 better per unit. You're up almost $4,000. That'd be $3,908 on the season. Don't you wish you had that? Well, you probably didn't sign up for Skybox. Check them out today. You'll find the picks package that fits your price range. Get familiar with Skybox before March Madness. Let them help you make some money on the end of the NFL season and so much more. They're the best sports handicapping site in the business. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. The stats speak for themselves. And if you go online and find a picks package today and use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, you'll get 20% off any package. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, we now welcome on Garrick Hodge. He covers Ohio State and recruiting for 11 Warriors. How are you doing, dude? It's been a minute. Yeah, RIPPY, it's a pleasure to be reacquainted. It has been a minute, hasn't it? I know. I was. We were talking before we started recording. I was with the Bjork News and some Judkin stuff. We always have like this one or two random guests in the off season where it's like, how does this connect to Ole Miss? It's a damn pleasure that you're now that random guest for uh, 2024. <laughs> but I was like, surely we've shot the shit in the last like couple of years. And then I went on our Twitter DMs. And I was like, the last one I got was a very nice message from you when I left Super Talk. And I was like, damn, it has been a while. We've come a long way since Gabriel's uh, summer of 2019 in Hoover, Alabama. Yeah, um, I mean, RIP Gabriel's experiences for me. Now it's uh, 
um, you know, whatever the bar is across the street in Indianapolis at Big Ten Media Days. So, uh, you know, it doesn't quite have the soul that Gabriel's does at uh, Hoover. So very sad times, but you live and you adapt, I suppose. You can't replace the soul of a Sigs in sidebar. That's basically impossible standards to live up to. And real quick, just a little bit of background of like how we got to know each other a little bit. You were working in the Golden Triangle area. Um, you were the sports editor for the Columbus Dispatch. I believe you're actually younger than me, which we've never actually talked about this, which I thought was fascinating. You're the sports editor of a very good newspaper on an SEC beat, or at least had an SEC beat at like, what, 22, 23 years old? How the hell did that happen? Um, I don't think I was that young. I mean, you make me out to be uh, younger than I am. I'm 31 now. But Oh, shit. Okay. We're just learning stuff about each other on here. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I see, I knew you were going to drop a got me question in there, but, um, which I told you wouldn't happen, but here we are two seconds. in. Yeah, here we are. Here we are. But, um, well, actually before that, I was the sports editor of the Columbia daily tribune, which covers Mizzou for about a year or so. And I think I took that job when I was, oh, geez, now I'm dating myself 25, 26, somewhere around there. But, okay. Um, anyway, I guess long story short is that, um, I got lucky. I don't, I don't really know what other better way to describe it besides, uh, sometimes you have a good fortune in this business and it was, uh, pretty fun to spend two years in the golden triangle covering Mississippi state and, you know, get to see the egg bowl rivalry. And, you know, a lot of people up here in Columbus don't really understand how beautifully toxic that rivalry is. <laughs> and, you know, cause they're, accustomed to the game and the pageantry that surrounds it. And of course it's on the front page of ESPN and every other major news outlet um, when that time of year rolls around. But, you know, personally for me, my Thanksgiving tradition now is watching that egg bowl because I just love the toxicity that surrounds it. And like, like you said, you worked there for a couple of years. So you have like an insight in terms of like how ridiculous it can be at times that oh, yeah. no one else watching on TV has. I mean, I texted a couple other buddies Throughout the last couple of years, I was recovering it as a full-time reporter. And they're like, man, this is a clown show. I'm like, buddy, if you had any idea. I feel like if you're watching that game on Thanksgiving night, like you, of anyone you're probably watching that game with, is like, I know stuff about this that there's no way you could know. Like, just buckle up. This is wild. Oh, I get giddy, man. I mean, my first Egg Bowl that I covered was the piss and the miss. So, I mean, if that wasn't a welcome to the Egg Bowl moment, I don't know what was. Oh, my God. And that's, I mean, we talk about like, that was my last egg ball I covered full time. You're pretty tall, right? I mean, we're just going to get your measurables on here. I am not. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess uh, I'll be – don't ask my 40 time. That will be embarrassing. But, yeah, about 6'2", 6'3", thereabouts. Yeah, so I'm about half that size. So the, I missed the piss and miss due to sheer height disadvantages. I couldn't see while we were standing on the sideline. So I'm walking back to where we're, like, going to Matt Luke's, like, you know – obituary press conference i'm like what happened like why did he miss that i didn't understand what happened and then a tv guy which i'm sure we both know and i don't even remember who it was was like here it was and i was like oh my god this is gonna be a wild night i think i just remembered my mouth hanging open for like 30 <laughs> seconds in the press box afterward i was like i'm sorry he just did what <laughs> yeah like how did this game end the way it did luke Lewis? well i i don't think i saw elijah Moore like uh get on all fours like after the play like i think i started like typing something like oh god control alt delete scrap this crap here we go again but um yeah but then i i heard the announcement of the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that moved the pat back 15 yards or whatever it was and i'm like wait for what and then i like looked up on the tv 
Um, and then I was like, oh, yeah, that all about do it. And then right as I finished uh, understanding why they were moving back 15 yards, uh, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. And there, as soon as they moved it back 15 yards, there's this subconscious sense where I was like, there's no way this kid's making it. You can blame Ben Portnoy for me dating you, not knowing your exact age, because we were all hanging out over the summer of 2019 or whatever it was. He had just gotten out of school. I just kind of assumed you just gotten out of school, too. I was like, what an absolute duo we have here. Last thing I'll ask you on this, we're getting the Ohio State stuff. In all seriousness, like, you get that job. What's it like trying to wrap your arms around? I mean, it's hard enough to wrap your arms around like a beat, an SEC beat at that age, but like you're the editor. What is it like trying to kind of wrap your arms and figure out how to how to produce good coverage in a job that's a very important job in an area of the state that is very newspaper centric, which is kind of ironic in some senses with the way the rest of the industry is going. But what was that like, if that makes any sense at all? I think it was less intimidating in Mississippi than it was in Missouri um, because Missouri was like my first, okay, holy crap, you're in an SEC market, but we also expect good coverage of the local high school teams and, um, you know, the Olympic sports and all things of that nature. But um, so, I mean, I was only in Mississippi on the off chance because, you know, like you, Rippy, I unfortunately was a casualty of the industry and got laid off. So, um, you know, I had to get a job quick and, uh, commercial dispatch at the time. Um, I think that job had been open a couple months, maybe two, and uh, they were looking to hire somebody as quickly as they can. So it goes back to what I said, kind of luck. But um, anyway, to make a long story short, once I got there, I already had a plan of, all right, well, uh, you know, Ben Portnoy, who's a great friend of mine, fresh out of school at the time, um, you know, this is what we did in Columbia and we had great success with it. And I tried to implement that in terms of, you know, covering a beat, developing relationships, um, storylines to look for that are maybe off the beaten path a little bit. Um, and quite frankly, I got really lucky, too, in Mississippi because Ben's just a terrific reporter and has a mind of a reporter that, you know, you can't really teach. Like the intangibles are unlike anything I've ever heard of with that guy. But um no, it's uh, it definitely was different in the fact of, you know, I'm, uh, as you Southerners would call me, a Yankee. So it took a little bit of, uh, you know, cultural adjustment to uh, um, relate to the wonderful sports stuff down there. You know, it's a little different covering uh, Yankee sports up here in the, in the north. But, um, no, I, I just was very appreciative of my time in Mississippi and, um, you know, had a great run covering the Bulldogs for two years and, um, I was actually uh, the main men's basketball beat writer. And I mean, obviously that's not the egg bowl, but I always found to a lesser extent, the basketball rivalry between the two schools, even a little bit more fascinating because it's just so inconsistent and no one is ever on top for a long stretch of time. Oh, hell yeah. That was when like people wanted Howland done and then Kermit's on the come up in that 2019. It's like what Blake Henson, who is now somehow still playing college hoops at Pitt drops like 25 in a game. And it's like, what is, is he that? still around? I mean, I'll never forget that day. Ole Miss goes to wins in Starkville. They're like the story of the country. And like Howland's on his way out, or it seems like at that point. And then you know, look up three years later, it's like Kermit couldn't win an SEC game to save his life. We only ask the hard-hitting questions on this podcast, and my brain is really just – I'm a genius. And so I, uh, I, I've i got to ask, what's it like going from one place that has a Columbus dispatch to another? Would your key card work at both? <laughs> um, well, you know, ironically, I did get um... – 
a couple calls when I was in Mississippi, um, like wondering like, where the hell is page six, whatever. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And then I learned that he was actually calling me from Ohio. So I was like, Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> I see. Um, obviously I don't work for the Columbus dispatch here, so it's not a complete, uh, you know, come full circle moment, but I, I would get, you know, and I would probably get one of those every two weeks when I first started until I was like, all right, I'm just, if it's, not from a Mississippi area code. I'm letting it go to voicemail, but um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I found that pretty amusing, but um, actually, I mean, I always called it the commercial dispatch, even though a lot of people call it uh, the Columbus dispatch. So um, there that definitely was a little bit confusing, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I've always found it more amusing than anything else. And so you transition, you take the job up in Columbus and you go from being the sports editor of a small newspaper to, which I think is one of the toughest like transitions in covering a beat period. Like you go back into the recruiting nature of it. How did you adjust to that? So you cover recruiting and team stuff for 11 Warriors, but what was it like going from like an editorial role back to like, okay, now I'm covering recruiting. Like I got to, you know, DM some, <laughs> some high school kids, figure out where they're going to school. How did you adjust to that? Yeah, it was definitely an adjustment for sure my first couple months because I had never done it before. I had written stories about recruiting, obviously, but, you know, um, I, I hadn't gone into the DMs of several teenagers after visit going, all right, well, can we talk about the visit, blah, 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 blah. Like when they're on campus, uh, um, you know, you fans want to know what the latest is. And the hardest part about it truly, especially in this day and age, is that it's so fluid. Like – you, you'll get off the phone with a teen, um, write a story, and then sometimes by the next morning you'll hear something that goes, wow, I don't even know if that interview was worth running anymore because the situation's changed. But, um, no, I mean, it's pretty fun, and I, I still contribute a lot of uh, team stuff, like uh, um, in-season especially, but off-season I do a lot more recruiting specifically. But, um, yeah, I, I it took me an adjustment. I – basically learned to develop as many high school relationships as I could with like coaches and, um, you know, parents if possible. And then, you know, obviously DM a lot of, uh, high school prospects and see where they're going to go to school. But it was definitely an adjustment and it really made me appreciate recruiting writers more than I had, if I was being honest, because I mean, they have a really tough job and a very tedious job. And, it definitely kicked my ass the first couple months for sure. But um, no, it's a, it's always an adventure and it's kind of fun. I mean, you just got to embrace the chaos of this uh, new college football day and age. So there you go. And you're dead on about the last part of that too, in particular, like I don't have the chops to ever have been or would be a recruiting reporter. I just can't handle it. And you take that job back before, you know, NIL and the portal is really kicking up in full steam. Whereas like, I remember, I mean, I text, I, it's similar to what we're going to get to in a second about the Bjork thing where I get a couple, like five texts at once on Monday when whatever that report came out is, and then it happens. It's the same thing with the recruits. I mean, Ole Miss got two kids from Tennessee, uh, Tyler Barron, and I forget the other kid's name and they commit and particularly in the portal wise, like they're not really binding to anything other than that financial agreement or financial aid or whatever the hell it is they signed. And both of those kids that I'm referring to end up at 
Louisville. And so I have people texting me being like, how did this happen? I'm like, buddy, I have no fucking idea. Like, I, I don't I don't know how this works. Like, it can change by the day. I imagine as hard of a job as you walked into and as big of an adjustment it was, it's like, all right, I'm finally getting the hang of things. Oh, here's this immensely changing landscape with this portal thing. That had to have thrown another layer on it that you're probably still tackling to some degree, as, it, as is everyone else. Oh, yeah, I mean, the transfer portal window is gone for most teams and yet i still feel like we're in transfer portal season both because people that have already entered it are still making decisions and because nick saban retires and then all hell breaks loose and then we have alabama uh, alabama players entering the portal then we have washington players entering the portal we'll probably have arizona players entering the portal it just it just never ends (laughs) seemingly at this rate Uh, i can't remember another offseason like this at least this late into the year um, but like you said, it's an adventure and you got to brace the chaos, but, um, yeah, it's, it's also a different adjustment going from Mississippi state, a team that, you know, that was always competitive while I was there, but, you know, um, never in title contention or anything like that to a perennial expects to be in the national championship conversation every year. There's just a kind of a different standard when you write, because things that I would go, Oh, that's, uh, pretty solid on the Mississippi state beat. I would critique a lot more when covering Ohio state and maybe look at things a little bit more through a different lens, if you want to say that. So yeah, there's definitely been some adjustment, but um, just as there's been adjustments for coaches in the NIL era. So here we are. And we'll just now get to the connection that really spawned this whole podcast was exactly what I outlined earlier. I think it may have been Bruce Feldman. I could be wrong. I'm too lazy to look it up. On Monday, it reported that Ross Bjork had become, you know, kind of the sole Pete candidate. Dammel, Pete Thamel. Sorry. Apologies to ESPN um, on that one. So, yeah, Thamel. must give proper credit. Come on, Rippy. Yeah, I know. I, my, my favorite thing was uh, Thamel and all of them reporting on the TV rights deal. It's like, buddy, your employer is, is the other negotiating oh, that party. Was, in this. That was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Sources say it's like, where's your source? If my source is my boss, I'd be the best reporter in America. Neither here nor there. <laughs> That Ross York was kind of the candidate for the Ohio State job. And then now he's hired. And I don't even really know where to start with this. We can start with the Bjork part of it. But give me a little bit of background. Gene Smith retires covering an athletic director search. I've only done one. And to say that I covered it well as a 22-year-old reporter at a radio station that didn't really value written reporting would probably be misleading, but take me through that part of it. So Gene Smith announces that he's not going, uh, he's retiring. What is the timeline? How long ago was that? And kind of where did y'all center your focus once that happened? Well, I'll be honest. We didn't center much focus of all for one very specific reason, but um, Gene Smith retiring, that was, I think that was right before football season started. If I, uh, it was like right after Oregon and uh, Washington joined the Big Ten. So he okay. announced a press conference and all of us thought that it was going to be to discuss realignment. And then he eventually drops the, oh, by the way, I'm out of here this time next year. So we were like, oh, well, there you go. All right. We got a full day. But um, so no, we, we didn't. I mean, yeah, we, we wrote like a couple of here's who Ohio State could hire articles that, uh, you know, every site does. We certainly did those, but we didn't really put it at the forefront of our coverage because, one, football season was starting, and two, Ohio State didn't have a president at that time. So, obviously, you need a president before you can hire the athletic director, right? So, when they were still in the process of finalizing that, we're like, well, 
it's Gene's going to be here until, you know, late June. He, it's not like this is effective immediately. So I don't think they're going to be with any rush with it. They're going to, you know, make the hire probably in a couple months, I would guess. And sure enough, that turned out to be true. But um, I would say it was kind of on the back burner for us coverage wise until uh, football wrapped up. And then we started asking a little bit more about it in uh, December and, um, you know, once, uh, the president was hired and he didn't officially start, I think it was until like January 1st and he first arrived on campus on January 7th. So I think that's kind of, we had a list of, uh, finalists that I think we thought were going to be in pretty good consideration and Bjork was not on there. Um, so, uh, that was, I mean, we, we heard it a little bit before it was announced, but we didn't you know, it wasn't much before it was announced. So Bjork was kind of a, huh, all right. And I think that's mostly because, you know, this president's been on campus for Ted Carter, all of, I don't know, I think today was his 17th day on the job. Yeah, January 17th. So a lot of people at Ohio State don't exactly quite have a feel for what he's going to do yet. And eventually, um, you know, he ends up going with Bjork. And I think they I mean, I'm sure you'll ask about that, so I won't steal your thunder. But um, I thought it was going to be a Gene Smith disciple. I thought it was going to be somebody like Pat Chun at Washington State. Um, and a lot of others did too. But, yeah, it was uh, kind of an interesting couple of weeks on that front. And that's what I find so fascinating about all of this, where you mentioned you, know, you have the Gene Smith announcement. It's hilariously appropriate for like the times in college football where you think you're going into a press conference talking about like what, how realignment affects Ohio state. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, the, the AD retired. Like what, what the hell is going on here? And it's you, you, you encapsulated that perfectly where it can't be a day-to-day coverage thing, right? Like when a, when a coach gets fired or a coach leaves, particularly with this early um, signing period that has been really just one of the worst decisions in college football history among a lot of them in terms of how coaches operate. It's a pretty finite window, right? You got to get a guy in and you got to get him in immediately. That's not the case at all with AD searches. And you also have no idea in a larger sense of like the forces at play of who's going to influence the hire, whether it's the new president or it's boosters or old Mrs. Case, you know, like the IHL can sometimes get involved with stuff like that. So if you're trying to put together like a athletic director hot board, it's almost impossible. So the fact that like whatever candidates you guys put together in any sort of coverage you had, Bjork wasn't among them. Literally no one is going to fault you for that because it's like, how the hell could you have known that? I guess what if, if I could package this into a question, it would be like covering coaching searches is piece of cake compared to AD searches. Is it not? Because what a wild card those are. I don't know if I agree with you that it's a piece of cake because it's a lot more, like you said, urgent and fans probably care a lot more. And I honestly think that they should because, you know, athletic directors are, you know, when an athletic director leaves, almost no fan goes, oh, my God, we're screwed. Like maybe there's a couple out there. But, you know, even even um, I was talking about this with some colleagues today, like even as renowned as Gene Smith is and is probably – one of the top figures in all of college athletics, like half of Ohio state fans on Twitter. I see you're like, well, thank God jeans are tiring. And we're all like, well, geez, man. All right. You get AD there, pal. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. If you say so, but um, so I don't know, like I, 
also there's not like a lot of like hunger for it like there, there'll be like a fans and like our chat that'll be like hey have you heard anything on the ad front but it's not like you know um we're not on flight track or watch or anything like that like we are in coaching searches and everyone needing like minute by minute info you can give like week by week info on athletic director searches so i I would say maybe to your point, there's some different challenges about covering that than there is covering a head coaching search, but they also drag out a lot longer typically. Um, you know, I'll be surprised if A&M hires a suitor or hires a new athletic director in the next week or two, but maybe they will, who knows? But um, I don't know. I, I just uh, thought it was just pretty interesting how this whole situation played out. So they hire the president first and I'm, I'm give me some insight on that because again, as we date back to our time in Mississippi, one of the last things I recovered as a full-time reporter was Ole Miss needed a chancellor and that's their version of a president. And Keith Carter was the interim AD at the time because Ross Bjork left in the dark of the night at the 2019 SEC baseball tournament. He ruined a piece of pizza. I was going to eat down there in Birmingham that night. I was like, I finally got a night off Bjork leaves. Well, Ole Miss and the state of Mississippi operates based off the IHL, which everyone listening probably understands to some degree is this board that uh, covers or governs all public universities. And long story short, the guy they hired to run the search basically paid himself $80,000 to become the chancellor. Now, to Glenn Boyce's credit, he's been a very good chancellor, but the process was screwed up. I'll never forget being at the end at Ole Miss where Boyce's introductory press conference was canceled due to just basically a borderline riot going on in the room. They arrested protesters. It was absolutely nuts. I have to imagine Ohio or Ohio State, however that's governed, has a little bit more of a sane process than Mississippi does. What was the process to hire the president that then hired Bjork, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, from what I understand, well, they definitely hired the president beforehand. They hired him on, I think it was August 22nd, but he, you know, still stayed at Nebraska for a while until January 1st. That was just when he started, not when he was hired. But um, so he was definitely first. I think the search committee that formed for the athletic directors at Ohio State um, had like a good group of finalists, but uh, Carter was the one that eventually picked it. So um, who is that group? Is this a board or is this the university trying to figure out a president? The university. Okay. Which I, I think is an important point because Mississippi's so screwed up. That's not the case, right? The IHL is the same people that hired the Southern Miss. Yeah, no, there's no IHL here going around. I mean, yeah, I, I also completely forgot about the guy paying himself eighty thousand. Oh my god! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, was... Ohio, Ohio's operating as or Ohio State getting a given. They're they're hiring their own president. That makes sense in Mississippi. See, that this makes is the beauty of sense. the egg bowl stuff that not enough people in Ohio appreciate that there's crap like this that happens. But uh, yeah, that's that's good stuff. Oh my god! I'm, I'll never forget one day. The day that happened and they had to cancel the press conference, I'm going in to do radio with Richard and Haydad and all them. And they're like, hey, we can't do Boyce's press conference. We'll get him on the phone. So they get him on a phoner. And then someone asked him if he plans to pay back the 80K. Then he's the chancellor. And he was like, why would I do that? I'm like, dude, like, do you have a publicist? Like, read the room. What do you mean? Why would I do that? So anyway, they hire the guy. So now he has is. A little bit of time and place to hire an athletic director. I guess I'll start here. Were you surprised? At, was it quick? Was it slow? Were you surprised at the timeline of him hiring an AD? Um, I don't know if I was surprised at the time frame. Um, 
I had heard, I mean, I didn't know it was going to be Bjork, obviously, but um, I had heard that, uh, you know, once Carter got on campus, things were moving pretty quick um, and that they want to hire an AD before the end of the month. Um, and what they're going to do now is I think Bjork's going to work for Ohio State starting in March, but he's not going to be the athletic director. He's going to be essentially paid as a consultant to Gene uh, for the rest of Gene's tenure, and then he'll start at Ohio State on July 1st. But um, yeah, I'm not entirely surprised by the hiring or the time frame of the hiring. So take me through, I guess, exactly what led me to reach out to you is you have that FAMO report that Ross Bjork is centered as a candidate. What is kind of you guys reaction as a site? How is that taken by your fan base? Take me through that kind of Monday afternoon where it's like, okay, I guess he's the guy. Cause talk about being out of left field. I was stunned. I think it was in one word, huh? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, as I mean, I don't need to give Ole Miss fans a storied history of B- the Bjork, uh, um, less than flattering uh, scenarios. But um, I think they hired him because, if nothing else, he's a hell of a fundraiser, and absolutely, he has, he has built a very prestigious NIL foundation and the way that this sport is going um, fundraising is probably by far and away the most important part of an athletic director's job. Now, having said that um, there are of course some very obvious warts there. Um, Wart one being, you know, giving Jimbo Fisher $96 million extension and then firing him two years later. And then wart two being uh, the handling of Hugh freeze, which I don't need to educate your listeners about. So yeah, it's a, and I mean, we did we did have the press conference today, and uh, Carter, the president, and Bjork were both asked about both of those things. And um, Carter said, "Yeah, I grilled Bjork about that, and I uh, got a satisfactory answer. What exactly he said, you know, who knows? Only them two know, I suppose. But um, and then Bjork just kind of chalked it up to uh, the the age old learning moment, and uh, we'll move forward from that, and there will be no more ten year contracts, apparently. So." Uh, yeah, no, I, I thought it was an interesting hire, um, and I think it's Carter's attempt to put his uh, staple on the athletic department and um, try to move Ohio State into the new world order of college football with uh, fundraising. But if nothing else, uh, Bjork is very excellent at that. We'll get back to Garrick in just one second, but before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats right now. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. 
Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Garrick. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned the press conference. I actually didn't know that. I've been just slaving away at my nine to five grind. Uh, today, you guys had a press conference about this. Bjork was in attendance with the president. Is that correct? That's true. Yeah. How did that go? What What was your overall feel from that? Well, I mean, I thought Bjork crushed it, but to put a disclaimer, everybody crushes the first press conference. Um, sure. And Bjork has always been very a charismatic speaker. That was never his problem. Um, but I mean, I think he won over a lot of Ohio State fans, if nothing else. Um, he talked a lot about the new world order of college football and um, how the s- schools with high budgets need to consolidate in three to five years and, um, you know, advocated that football is king, basically throwing red meat to Ohio State fans. So, um, and, you know, he tried to take accountability for the Jimbo Fisher mistake and also tried to give an answer and then move on to the next question as quickly as he could. But, Um, No, I thought it. um, he's a polished speaker. He was pretty charismatic and, um, you know, does the old typical rah-rah stuff that any college sports athletic director making his first speech is going to say. So um, I don't think there is anything um, groundbreaking from there. But uh, like I said, I think every athletic director wins the opening press conference. Can, may I present to you a potential Wart 3? And I'm very curious to see if like Ohio State fans or as really just a whole covering it is on to this yet. So I got a very interesting phone call today, which I'll leave anonymous. I'll tell you this after we stop recording. But the way collect – Ross Bjork is one hell of a fundraiser. That is something that I think is indisputable. When he got the A&M job, I asked around. I asked with a lot of people, like, how the hell did this guy get this job? That was the clear answer, and I think he's a very good company man, right? If someone higher up than him kind of screws up, he's fine with taking the fall. And, hey, that's part of any industry. Now, the fundraising in the NIL side in particular is interesting to me because I did a story in December on how Ole Miss's collective was founded. And I won't rehash all of it because it's long, complicated, whatever. One of the things that I thought was very impressive about the people that started Ole Miss's collective that was not really in line with the history of a school that's reactive rather to being proactive. They had the foresight to start it as a for-profit entity rather than a nonprofit because they identified that they had no charitable purpose. And they're like, this doesn't make any sense. Well, a lot of collectives around the country that registered as 5013Cs and became nonprofits basically got nuked by the IRS when they issued a memo in June of 2023. It was like, no, you guys don't have any charitable purpose. Like, this is not going to fly. AM was one of them. And they're now kind of scrambling trying to figure out this 12th man thing without fully restarting over. Imagine having to text all of your donors and say, sorry, this is not tax deductible. 
I get he's a good fundraiser. Is there any pause with the fact that A&M is now having to reconfigurate themselves because no one had the foresight to be a for-profit entity? I know I'm getting off in the weeds, but I'm just curious if that's come up at all. I do have an answer for your question, but I would say no, nobody is freaking out. And that's because Ohio State's main collective associated with football is a pro is a for-profit collective. So, okay. So there you go. So kind of saving him from himself in that sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they, they also, I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. I'll have to ask around next time I talk with those guys, but um, I'm not sure if like the, Hey, the A&M stuff was what made them go into that, or they just had the foresight to go, all right, we need to operate as a for-profit, but um, they definitely had us. I mean, Bjork was never brought up in that conversation from what I heard of them, but they were like, Hey, we, I think it makes a lot more sense if we're a for-profit collective that way it closes off a lot more loopholes and makes things a lot more by the book legit. So um, yeah, b- long before Bjork ever stepped foot on campus, Ohio state had the foresight to do that. Well, it sounds like Ohio state has smart people running the collective, which I think is one of the most undercovered stories in college sports of like the people that had the foresight to do what was needed for like long-term sustainability versus wasn't, which is a story for another day. But as we wrap up the Bjork conversation, cause I want to hit a little bit of recruiting before I keep you for, you know, an hour and a half or whatever I lied about keeping you was, is the other side of it too. So fan wise, you know, you mentioned he nailed the first press conference the Michigan thing, hardball interviews for the Chargers, who knows how that's going to go. Do you think Bjork is going to have to make a consequential hire in his first 12 to 18 months? How do you see this Ryan Day thing going? What is your kind of your read on that? I think, I mean, anyone that's followed Ohio State can say that they're pushing all their chips in for 2024. Um, you know, they brought in a transfer quarterback like Will Howard. They brought in, obviously, Judkins, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Um and yeah, and more importantly, they've retained pretty much their entire defense and most of their, I mean, obviously Marvin Harrison's going to the NFL draft, but um, I'd say outside of like five guys, most of the entire team that went 11 and one in the regular season is coming back. Obviously Kyle McCord transferred um, and whether Will Howard is an upgrade is uh, open to interpretation, but I certainly think he is. And that's mostly because Will Howard brings a running element to the field that um, McCord did not, and McCord was frankly a statue in the pocket. Um, also, uh, I think the thing that attracted them the most about Will Howard is that Will is his numbers under pressure from the pocket are pretty good, whereas McCord's were pretty horrific. Um, so that's another underlying factor there. But um, I'm getting way off topic. And to the short answer to your question is. If Ohio State loses to Michigan again, is Ryan Day in trouble? I would say yes. Yes, he is. Um, There is a ton of pressure on Ryan Day to deliver with this roster that at worst will probably be in the top five in the preseason polls. At best will probably be number two, maybe even number one if they pull off some portal magic in the next three or four months. But um, I would say it's probably going to slot in at number two or number three. So, yeah, I think there's a ton of pressure on him, um, especially with this new athletic director. and yeah, uh, I think he knows it too. He's also going to more than likely bring in an offensive coordinator to call plays for the first time in his tenure. He's been the play caller his entire tenure at Ohio State. And um, I think they're looking at some guys in the NFL. I think they're looking um, maybe at some other coaches uh, in the coaching area. But um, 
they're definitely trying to bring in an offensive coordinator. I know Brian Hartline's an offensive coordinator. They'll probably just throw the whole co-offensive coordinator label on both of them. But yeah, I this is definitely a make or break year for Ryan Day, 100%. Do you find that ridiculous? As someone that has covered the SEC and the Big Ten, the fact that, I mean, the, the guy took over for Urban Meyer, who outside of Nick Saban orchestrated one of the most stable and probably, you know, dynasty light programs in college football and he's 56 and eight and he went 13 and one in his first season he had the weird COVID year he's gone 11 and two since and mostly that is losing bowl games other than that one Rose Bowl win and he loses to Michigan is, is that not unfair because 99.9 percent of programs would kill to have it Ryan Day whether he beats Michigan and Harbaugh or not I find that ridiculous is there any sane part of the Iowa State fan base is like hey just weather this out like this is kind of absurd to be talking about this I mean, there's, there's some part, yeah, there's there's some parts of the fan base that, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that the entire Ohio State fan base wants Ryan Day sent to the gulag because sure. that's, that's not true. I would say it's pretty divided right now, but I'd say, yeah, actually probably right down the line, 50-50. Um, the argument for keeping him is that, you know, he beats literally everybody else except Michigan and, you know, playoff teams in the SEC. Um. You know, he he doesn't, you know, Urban Meyer had uh, the occasional trip up uh, in the Big Ten, too. And Ryan Day has lost to no other Big Ten team besides Michigan. And the argument for the That's pro Ryan Day. insane stat. Yeah. The, Mich- the argument for the pro Ryan Day crowd is, yeah, I mean, weather the storm. And more importantly, the Michigan teams that Urban Meyer was – you know, beating over the head with a club were not great Michigan teams. There was probably one or two that were pretty good, like 2016 comes to mind, but most of them were not great Michigan teams and they just clobbered them over the head. Right. The dynamic has changed a lot. Right. Whereas every single team that um, Ryan Day has faced has been a college football playoff team and has been very good. I mean, the the first year they beat him, the only other team they lost to was Michigan State. Um, and that was the year that they went 11 and two. Um, the second year they beat them, they were undefeated at the time. And the third year they beat them, they won the national championship. So I don't know, man. I mean, it, it, if nothing else, it just speaks to the standard of Ohio State. And if nothing else, it speaks to how much they truly freaking hate Michigan. Like, I, it's a hatred unlike anything I've ever seen. So you say hatred unlike you've ever seen. One side note. Well, really it's just a different hatred. Like, you know, like I'm you trying knew to. where I was going with this. Yeah, I, I know. Like, I think the way I would describe the both the rivalries to both parties, having seen both of them play out, is that Ohio State and Michigan are like two historic Roman gladiators that are undefeated and have been waiting their whole lives to face each other and have been talked about with each other and just hate each other. And have been their legacy will be determined based off of this one bout. Whereas Ole Miss and Mississippi State are a bunch of street fighters that would literally stab the other in the eye if it meant they could finish fourth in the yeah. SEC West. There also has to be a proximity part of it, too, right? Ohio State, gigantic alumni base, Michigan, gigantic alumni base, and they're not 90 miles from each other. That has to be part of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to ancient history, the whole, I don't know if you're familiar or not, but uh, um, this is more than a century ago, I'm pretty sure, that uh, Michigan and Ohio fought over the city of Toledo, over who gets to keep it. Oh, hell yeah, did not know this. 
so yeah i mean that's where this whole feud started like it's it's more than just a sports thing like i that's the other thing about the it too like everyone from ohio that's an ohio state fan truly hates the state of michigan and everything about the state of michigan where you know and vice versa for michigan Whereas, you know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, it's still the same state. You're still representing Mississippi. You're just battling for state supremacy. Whereas Ohio State truly freaking hates everything and anything to do with Michigan. Like the whole uh, Woody Hayes quote was, I refuse to ever buy gas in the state of Michigan because I don't want to help their economy. So make sure we fill up in Ohio before we go. It's just petty stuff like that. but. A certain unpopular women's basketball coach in Mississippi tried that, and it did not work very well. I believe that was the time you were there, too. Uh, as we wrap up that part of it, I want to get a little bit of recruiting. I promise I'll let you get out of here. But, like, I pro- I didn't figure I'd come on this podcast and be a Ryan Day stand. But, like, I don't think the argument that he was born on third base and he hasn't lived up to it holds up. Because I think the idea that he'd be born on third base and didn't live up to it is that he's going 10-3, and 9-3, and 9-3, 8-4, and 10-2, whatever – He's literally losing to no one but Michigan. Does he get any credit for the fact that he was the only team to keep 2022 Georgia remotely close and they arguably could have won that football game? I get it. If, ands, and buts doesn't really get it in this industry, but they've just had some poor luck, I guess would be my point. I mean, he he wishes he definitely got credit for it, and I'm sure he wishes that uh, that hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. was called targeting when it wasn't and that that hit never happened because if Marv's, you know, doesn't miss a whole quarter, they probably win that game. But- 100%. But um, like you said, um, it's the if, ands, what's or what's about it. So uh, they did not win that game and they did not win the national championship. And it goes as another L in the column. But um, no, I think Ryan Day is a hell of a coach. I think he's a tremendous coach. And I think 2024 is going to be a great referendum on him because Ohio State has a standard that's almost impossible for any coach to live up to because the standard is so high, even though, you know, it's it's not like they win the national championship every year. But, um, uh, I mean, I think the referendum's coming from if he can't come close or beat Michigan, at least make a semifinal run now that we're expanding to the 12-team playoff with arguably the best or second or third best roster in the country, when is he ever going to do it? I think that's sort of the referendum on him. And, especially with the new change in leadership at both president and athletic director. That's why I think it's such a huge referendum on Ryan Day. But I I agree with you. I think he's an excellent coach. Um, I thought he's needed to take a more CEO way about it instead of he's been very reluctant to give up play calling and all signs are that he will this time around. So kind of excited to see how that plays out. But yeah, I think, Ryan Day, to your point, yeah. If, if Ryan Day, let's say, coached at Texas A&M, I think he would be a folk hero. All right, maybe that's a bad example. But um, if he had that record, you know, went 11-1 and one every year at Texas A&M, I think he would be far more appreciated than he was at Ohio State. Anywhere else in the country, your point is still well stated. I mean, it's one of those things, like, if he was dropping off, it's like, okay, now you're losing to Penn State and Michigan. I had a couple of Penn State guys on the podcast for the Peach Bowl type thing. They're trying to figure out, you know, how do you close the gap with Ohio State? If he starts losing that and you start punching down a little bit and losing those battles, I get that. Last thing on that, like, what's he like to deal with? Matt Luke was an awesome dude to deal with. Very open, not a, not a great head coach, impossible situation. Hugh Freeze. Gigantic pain in the ass to deal with. I wouldn't even call Lane Kiffin a pain in the ass. He said he kind of stated what he was going to be from the beginning. What is Ryan Day like to deal with media wise? 
he's a pretty mild mannered guy. Um, you know, he's obviously gotten asked some questions he doesn't care for much, but he never belittles any reporter or talks down to them or anything like that. He'll just probably say something like, appreciate the question, but we're not going to get into that. So um, he's never going to give you like a crazy sound bite, like a Hugh Freeze would or anything like that. But um, I'd say overall, just a pretty mild mannered guy. Um, and what you see is what you kind of get. I, I mean, the, I think most people started paying attention to him during the, when he took a WWE stance, when he said, I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. And <laughs> that, that was, too. that was so out of character. It caught all of us off guard. Like, wow, where did that come from? Like, that is not usually Ryan day. Like that was two years of frustration of people saying you can't beat Michigan. You're soft as hell. Your team sucks coming out on one poor 86 year old man, because he said what, he said for the 101st time what 100 other people have been saying, and Ryan got pissed. But, uh, yeah, no, he's overall very mild-mannered, very good dude, at least from what I can tell. I don't know what he does in his private life. But, um, you know, as a representative of the university, I think he's a, a pretty nice down-to-earth dude. Well, Garrick, if you ever have to cover Hugh Freeze, just make sure you get your religious affairs in order. That will come up. <laughs> I'll be sure to do that. And your core values. Be sure to write those down. Last thing I wanted to get to you with was the recruiting aspect of it. So Ohio State lands Quinshawn Judkins. And this storyline is fascinating to me because, again, we talked about NIL. We didn't talk about it in this pre-recording. But there was – some people call it spin. Some people call it narrative. I am of the very, very educated belief that Ole Miss and Quinchon Judkins had run its course. And it was not because Ole Miss could not afford Quinchon Judkins. I think there was some tension there that had started 18 months to 24 months, really after Judkins' uh, freshman year, and it had run its course. Ohio State lands one of the best running backs in the country. There is bar none, there's no debate that Quinshawn Judkins is an absolutely dynamic back. What's fascinating to me is Henderson announces he's coming back. Take me through the Quinshawn Judkins commitment, the reaction, and the fact that you know how two they, they now have two guys back that might be the best one-two punch in the country. Yeah, I think that's why they might get some number one votes is because of that running back combo. Um, I mean, I don't think you'll find a better one-two punch in the country. I just don't think you can do it. Um, I think the appeal for Junkin, for Junkins was that, uh, you know, he had taken a lot of carries at Ole Miss the last two years. And, you know, there's only so many carries a running back has in his football life, whether that be in college, whether that be in the pros. So I think the idea of both playing for a national championship and possibly lightening his workload a little bit while not devaluing his prospects for the NFL was definitely appealing for him. Um, I think uh, I'd have to double check on this, but I think that Davison Igbedosin, former Ole Miss cornerback that oh, yeah, Parcher's guy. State, yep, uh, reached out to Quinshawn once he entered the portal and was kind of like, hey, man, why not us? And then things kind of kicked off from there. I'll be honest, like once he uh, entered the portal, I didn't think much of it because all signs were kind of pointing to Trey Beyond coming back. Um, and then I heard a source be like, well, if uh, Trey Beyond leaves, I think there's some smoke here. And then a couple days after that, I um, was hearing, well, they might both be in actually. <laughs> that was uh, pretty surprising. Um, I think the day, was, the day before he committed, which by the way, 
Quinshawn has endeared himself to Ohio State fans because he committed to Ohio State literally the second after Michigan won the national championship. So perfect yeah. timing to distract them from their worst case scenario coming true. But um, the day before he committed on Sunday, uh, got a test. Yeah, Quinshawn's in, just took a visit. Um, and the best part about it is that we still think we're going to get Trey. And I just kind of stood there because I was like, wow, that's pretty incredible. I would have never seen this coming in a million years three weeks ago where you could have enough carries to go around for both of them. But I think a, uh, a little bit of a lighter workload was something that was quite appealing for him. And um, I mean, they're both going to eat, man. They're both great players. And I'm excited to see what that workload looks like. And another thing, too, that a lot of people aren't taking into consideration that along those same lines I mean, the college football playoffs expanding. Instead of winning two games to be yep. a national championship, you need to either win three or four, depending on where you're seated. So, um, and Ohio State has certainly seen plenty of running back injuries over the last two or three years that I've been there. I mean, the day one starting running back didn't often finish the year, or if he did, he had to miss at least certain amounts of time. So they used three to four running backs per season the last two years because of different injuries. And then you're going to – ask teams to play up to 15 or 16 games depending on where they're seated and how far they go then yeah um, having another capable running back to withstand that workload seems pretty appetizing you've covered both leagues Penn State and Michigan notwithstanding Quinchon Judkins is going to ruin the average Big Ten defense do you not believe that I mean can you imagine Iowa trying to tackle this dude or Minnesota I mean he's going to just yeah, I was a bad example because I think those dudes are actually good they just get made fun of because their <laughs> offense is putrid but um yes Minnesota and the Indianas and the Purdue's of the world it's gonna be I mean it's it's gonna be like playing Vanderbilt three or four times a year for for him but yeah I oh, I mean he may put up similar numbers with 60 fewer carries. It may be interesting if he uh, gets that schedule against the Indianas of the world. Last thing I had for you, and I've always found this fascinating. So I had a couple, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a couple of Penn State guys on the podcast leading up to the Peach Bowl. And I started getting in kind of the weeds of like the recruitment aspect. And like Penn State like signed 25 kids during the early signing period. And they're very much not into the portal. Um, I know they have a collective. NIL is a thing. It's NIL is a thing everywhere. But like Ole Miss, like it's become like part of their brand. And like, I don't know what, I think it's called the Nittany Lion blah, blah, blah collective, but it was certainly not on the mainstream. Like um, I would put it to you this way. The Grove Collective had a gigantic ass party outside of uh, the stadium the Friday night before the game. Like I didn't see that on the Penn State side. Ohio State's different. They've always recruited nationally. They're, of course, very adept in IL. The fact that you just mentioned earlier that they're a for-profit thing tells me they have smart people running this thing. You covering Ohio State recruiting, explain to me what their recruiting footprint is like and why it's different than pretty much every other Big Ten school. I know that's loaded, but just whatever you want to go with it, I find that fascinating. Um, it's a national recruiting footprint because they can recruit nationally. I guess is the best way to answer that. Like okay. Penn state can recruit nationally to an extent, but right. Um, they're not going to go into Texas and snag a five-star kid more years than not. Um, Ohio state isn't always going to win those recruitments, but they can compete with them and they've won some very top 50 prospect caliber players in the Texas's in the floor. Oh, they pulled Quinn Ewers out of South Lake Carroll. I had to cover that yep. as a free after he left. Yep. 
Um, whereas, you know, Penn State isn't at that level. So I would just say that they recruit the best players because they can get them, um, even though it hasn't always worked out that way. I mean, depending on the positions, like wide receiver, Brian Hartline essentially just goes, all right, you, 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 all right, that's a great class. Let's let's lock it in. Let's get it. <laughs> I think he's uh, he's missed on two players that he really, really wanted since I've been here that he didn't get and got the rest of them, which is an astounding, astounding track record. Um, whereas offensive tackle, like it's pretty hard to pull those boys out of the South. Um, those like elite high level guys, um, where they've been struggling to hit on a top tier offensive lineman the past three cycles, which has been a big point of angst around the fan base. But, um, I think they've tried to do some adjustments. Like, uh, it had been a while before the for-profit collective started, like, um, probably up until about a year ago. Ohio State was not in a great place with NIL. Um, at least it was an angst. And, you know, they – a lot of – depending on who you talk to, some will claim that they lost a lot of players to other schools that they normally wouldn't because of NIL. And then eventually the playing field probably got evened out once they – a different collective formed and started the for-profit model. But, um, yeah, I think that they're – Recruiting footprint is first and foremost, they're going to take the best players in Ohio. They're always going to start there, of course. Um, and Ohio is a very good state to recruit from, even though it's not Texas, it's not Florida, it's not California, but it's a top 10 state nationally to recruit from because, you know, population. It's like Pennsylvania. Is- Those are two very underrated states for high school football, in my opinion. Yep. They'll, they'll recruit Pennsylvania. They're, I mean, they will recruit the entire country. They'll recruit the Midwest and the East Coast first, and then um, – try to go for the best players in Florida, Texas, and California is essentially their footprint. But, I mean, if they they like a guy, they'll like a guy. Like a good example is um, I used to uh, cover prep sports in South Dakota, and they ended up uh, taking a quarterback, Lincoln Keenholz, uh, who played in the Cotton Bowl a little bit. Um, and he was from pure South Dakota. You know, not exactly a whole lot of D1 prospects coming out of that state. But um, so their footprint is – exactly the entire country so that's another thing that makes the job interesting like you can't uh you know whereas if you're uh covering let's say in indiana you'll be like oh he's a five star from texas he's never coming to indiana like if a guy gets offered as a five star in texas you'd be like well he might come to ohio state uh it's going to be an uphill battle because you know it's far away away from home but it's not impossible so that's another interesting aspect of it you cover prep sports in South Dakota. I have to imagine that had to be one of your first jobs out of school. Yep, that was uh, my first job out of school. Was there any part of you that was like, "What the hell am I doing?" I mean, a lot of a lot of part of me, yeah. But um, where do you live? I lived in uh, Mitchell, South Dakota. Give me a relation you know, to anything, any landmark. Only, world's only corn palace. Okay, and you cover prep sports there. What was that like? Uh, yeah, prep sports in small small colleges like NIIA level. But um, it was, well, number one, it was very cold. Number two, it kind of was rewarding in its own sense because they knew that that was it for them. Um, whereas, you know, covering, you know, big time high schools in Ohio or Mississippi even, um, they'll have a lot of guys that, you know, they're good players and they're going to go to big colleges, whereas South Dakota, more often than not, they 
we're just playing for the love of the game. And yeah, this, this guy might go off to NAIA school, or I guess even South Dakota. If, if this, if one guy went to South Dakota state, the whole town celebrated and it was a huge deal. And it was probably um, this town of 6,000 people's in it, biggest event of the year. So, you know, it's just a little bit different that uh, you get to celebrate the memories, I guess, of course. But anyway, there also was nine man football, which I had never heard of before. That's so wild. That was, that was actually the first uh, assignment I was ever uh, doled out on. So to go cover a nine man football game. And I'd kind of like, I think I started in October. So it was pr- a pretty trial by fire experience. And I just remember standing on the sideline, like, hang on, one, two, three, four, five. Hey, this is nine man. And then I had to like text my boss, like, yo, there, there's only nine players on the field for both teams. She's like, yeah, this is a nine man football game. I'm like, oh, all right, great. Yeah, if you say so. So, yeah, it was, uh, if, if nothing else, what I'll say about it is that it really let me fine tune my chops as a reporter. And I mean, it was high stakes for them and it meant a lot to them. So it meant a lot to me, but also holistically, it was also a low stakes environment. So you could make mistakes get better and learn how to be a better journalist from it. Probably the perfect way to wrap up this podcast, you being a Midwest guy. So I'm sitting here as we record on a Wednesday night, I have been out of office for the last three days because Mississippi got a snowstorm. We actually got like four to five inches of snow in Oxford. I'm sure you feel very good. Oh, hell yeah, dude, this has been nuts. I haven't been able to leave my driveway in three days. Of course, of course they're not prepared for this. I'm sure you feel very bad for me and are questioning whether I'll survive or not. Right four to five inches of snow on the ground in Mississippi. Uh-huh. This is the white death. I, I Do you think I'll survive? Do you think I'll make it till we can get to a grocery store again? Um, This could be my last podcast. I could die. Well, Rippy, I think when I was in Mississippi, the only snowfall we got was actually, ironically, the day that I was going to Oxford to, for uh, – Ole Miss Mississippi State basketball the second time around. I forget. Exactly. I think it was the COVID year. I think it was the COVID year. Um, and it was two inches, and everyone acted like the world was on fire. And of course, to me as a Midwesterner, that was pretty humorous. But I also understood why finally when I lived through it because the infrastructure there just isn't built for it. Oh, whereas yeah. I had to go 15 miles an hour to go two miles to work today because the right. Whereas, whereas in the Midwest, we have like uh, seven snow plows on hand ready to go, and then. By nine o'clock, we call it a day. So, um, yeah, I I think fear not. The snow will melt eventually. Um, maybe you can call a snowplow from wherever is the nearest one. Maybe uh, see if uh, you know Knoxville has any snowplows that they can send a couple hours away. Hey, if and, I'm still alive by Sunday, I will let you know, um, which would just be a monumentous human feat. But, <laughs> dude, he is Garrett Hodge. I really appreciate the time, man. I didn't intend to keep you this long, but it was a ton of fun. We have to do this sometime soon. Yeah, man, anytime. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for listening to this podcast, as always. We will have a couple more shows for you toward the end of the week. We'll get back to our Sunday basketball conversation with Bracken Ray. I was out of the country for a wedding last week. Uh, in Mexico, so we had to take a one-week hiatus. Back this week, getting into rhythm as we settle into basketball and eventually baseball season. So thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, we'll talk to you here real soon.